We are concluding today our series, The Elephant in the Room. And we've been talking about awkward topics that are controversial, things that people don't want to talk about but need to be talked about in society, in our lives, and that God actually has a lot to say about these issues. So our first week we talked about racism and how the church is a place where there's no room for racism based on ethnicity or skin color, that we're all part of the body of Christ and that we should be an example to the world of what love looks like so that everyone is welcomed here, everyone is a part of what God is doing. We talked about submission to authority, an awkward topic that changed a lot of people's lives. Understanding that God actually gives you authority to bless you and protect you, and that submission to authority in your life is actually submission to God. I can tell right now that there are some people that are still struggling with that one, but God's going to get you. We talked about divorce, and that divorce does not define you but that God's design is that marriage is supposed to be lasting. And we weren't here to condemn anyone for anything that happened in your past, but we're talking about your future and that going forward, if you have unhappiness in your life, divorce won't fix the unhappiness in your life. So put Jesus at the center of your marriage. We talked about money and that if you want God to bless anything in your life, you put him first in that area. And that includes your finances. So if you want him to bless your finances, put him first in your finances. And then we saw that in the Bible, there's a lot of wisdom that we should not spend more than we make. That we should save for the future. And so a lot of people, they really benefited from that. They signed up for a financial counseling class that we're going to have coming up soon. A lot of you took the 90-day tithing challenge where you said, okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to test God like he said. I'm going to tithe for 90 days and see if it works. And and some of you were signing up for it last night still, I saw. And people are doing this, and they're seeing God bless them financially. We talked about sexuality, that sex is actually a gift from God. And all God's people said... Amen. Don't pretend like you're religious. That's the best news you ever heard. But that he designed it to be between a man and a woman in marriage. And that it's, it's great in marriage when we, when we enjoy sex the way that God designed it. And then last week we talked about drama and division. And we don't got time for drama queens and drama kings up in here, right? We got, we got work to do. And we said that if we'll live in humility and in forgiveness, that God will create unity and peace in our families and in our churches and everywhere we go. And that's what we want. Amen. So I was originally planning on talking about something different today, but then a couple weeks ago, I felt like God sent me in a different direction. And so today, as we conclude this series, I want to talk about ageism. Ageism is defined as discrimination against persons of a certain age group or a tendency especially to regard older persons as debilitated, unworthy of attention or unsuitable for employment. And it's actually very common in most cultures that the elderly are regarded with the utmost respect and honor. In Indian cultures, the elderly are the heads of the family. In the Chinese culture, respecting your elders is the highest virtue. It's like that in many cultures, but in Western societies, and especially in America, I think it's very common that we are disrespectful and dismissive of those who are elderly. But ageism can go both ways. It also could be the older generation dismissing the younger generation as just being foolish and useless. 
So we talk about generations, the number of of generations we kind of think about is the number of years between the birth of parents and their offspring, so about 25 to 30 years, and there are many different generations represented in this room, baby boomers, generation Xers, millennials, etc. And so although we have a lot of different generations represented in this room, we live in the same world. Right? And even though we live in the same world, though, we don't see the world the same way. And so because of that, we've got to learn how to sometimes love each other, even when it's not easily, easily done. And we've got to make allowances for each other. And I want to start out by reading from Philippians chapter 2. It says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? That's where you're supposed to go, yes, okay? Then Paul writes this, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In verse 2, we saw there that we're supposed to work together with one mind and one purpose. But in our culture, it's very common that we do the opposite, that we are selfish, that we are focused on our own interests, that we don't think of others. And that happens even in churches all across America. One pastor said that a church on Sunday morning in America can still be one of the most segregated places in our society, maybe ethnically, but also by age. And there can tend to be in churches an us and a them mindset. We see how naturally people kind of divide up by age groups. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that to put people in kind of groups to help meet their specific needs at that phase in their life. But think about how we divide up into kids ministry and youth ministry and young adults ministry and young families ministry and old families ministry and then empty nesters and then old people and then really old people. You know what I'm saying? And we do that. We do that all the time. And it's normal. It's common that we get impatient with each other. In a lot of churches, there's a lot of fighting and bickering between people of different generations, looking out for yourself, dismissing other people, disrespecting other generations. And it's because we kind of have these stereotypes of other generations. We talk about their problems and we can easily dismiss them. And we think about young people and their problems. And we talk about millennials all the time. Millennials are like the punching bag of society right now. But someday they're going to run the world. <laughs> There's a lot of problems that millennials supposedly have. Any millennials in the room born about after 1980? Okay, some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. I don't know what he's about to say. I don't trust this guy. Smart. I respect that. <laughs> supposedly millennials are lazy and self-centered, entitled. Supposedly they won't work hard. They're sheltered. And they're out of touch. But I would challenge you on this. I thought this week that the overarching weaknesses of any generation is created by the mistakes of the previous generation. Think about it. And then we think about old people and we're often dismissive of older people that 
they're terrible drivers. <laughs> that they tell bad jokes or dad jokes. <laughs> that they're stuck in their ways, right? That they're sheltered and out of touch. Supposedly everybody's out of touch. I don't know who's in touch. Who gets to decide who's in touch? Can I just say there are some trends in our culture that I don't want to be in touch with? I never wanted to touch that. Someone came to me and asked, Pastor Ryan, do you play Pokemon Go? I was like, child, please, what are you talking about? More like Pokemon No. You know this church is a Pokemon stop, so sometimes during the week I'll see people drive in and like they're walking around in the parking lot with their phone and... I was like, are you okay? Do you need help? Do you need prayer? Do you need water? No, I'm, I'm here to find a catch a Pokemon, right? Like, okay, I got Jesus if you want to catch him. <laughs> Anyways. We're all different. We're all different, but I want you to know that different is not deficient. I don't talk about these topics like racism or ageism to be politically correct. I have no interest whatsoever in being politically correct, but I do want to be biblically correct. And so that's why we're talking about these things because God in his infinite wisdom, in his word, he tells us that we're better together and that discrimination of any sort, but today we're talking about ageism, makes us weaker. We need one another and our strengths in order to come together and be used by God to the fullest of our potential. And we know that these different generations, we kind of have our own areas of a weakness sometimes, areas where we're kind of sometimes still growing and still getting stronger, like young people. Sometimes young people, let's just be honest, we can foolishly rush in to trouble, Right? There have been times we've rushed right off the edge of a cliff. And you hear sometimes as a young person, hey, these things take time. But you say, what? I don't have time for this. And then we know that sometimes older people can become risk averse. They can be stuck in their ways. And, and there's, a certain, there, there's sometimes it's common that you get to the point where you just don't want to rock the boat anymore. And, and oftentimes you might even think, I'm too old for this. Right? Right? We need each other because young people have dreams, but we're broke. <clears throat> the truth, though, is that old people have dreams, too, but they're broke. Physically versus financially. You see what I did there? Some people were like, I don't get it. Think about it. I'm just joking. But we need each other. And, and I do, I do want to say, why do we stereotype each other by our ages so often? It's, it's really silly. When you read this different uh, research reports that come, come out and they talk about the different generations, and millennials are supposedly like this, and Generation X people are supposedly like this, and baby boomers are supposedly like this, and the builders are like this. It's like there's just as much research saying that all the research is totally wrong. It's crazy to stereotype people based on their age because you might meet uh, different people in one generation that are completely different, right? There are some grandmas who are technologically savvy, right? There are some young people that don't have social media accounts. I know some old guys who could out bench press the 20 year old guys. Shout out Keith. <laughs> I know some young guys who have 401ks and they're responsible and they're saving for retirement. That's right. I know some old guys who have awesome heads of hair. 
And there's guys like me who are on the way to no hair. So you just can't judge a person by their generation, but we tend to do that quite frequently. Scripture gives us examples of multiple generations working together, challenging each other, encouraging each other, and uh, training one another to be used by God and to grow in our walks with God. So I want to read to you from Titus chapter 2, where Paul is writing to Titus, a guy who was Greek, and he placed his trust in Jesus, and he became one of Paul's disciples who Paul mentored, and he raised Titus up to be used by God and to lead in the church. So he says this, As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control and to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. Teach older women... Or these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely, and you yourself must be an example to them. He, he see, he's, he's saying here that there's a, a place for all these different generations to interact and to work together, to encourage one another, to mentor one another, Here's Paul. He is, he is encouraging his spiritual son, Titus, who, and he's encouraging him in how to teach the older men how to live wisely and how to, how to train up the younger men. And he's encouraging the older women that they should be teaching the younger women how to, to be used by God and to, to live the right way. And we see that we need one another, that everyone has a role in the body of Christ. We're not meant to just be divided by age groups and to stay separate from one another. We need one another. And so I want you to see that, that we need each other, right? We need one another. We need the wisdom of the older generation, and we need the energy of the younger generation. Amen? We need the physical agility of the younger generation and the financial stability of the older generation. Amen? So we need one another. And so I want to talk to you today. I'm going to start out by talking to those of you who are younger. So I want to say to the younger generation, you can do great things now. You can. You don't need to wait for permission. You don't need to wait your turn. You can do great things now for God. You can change the world for Jesus. David was a teenager when he killed Goliath. How awesome is that? I love that God uses young people. Paul, the apostle, he appointed Timothy as the leader of the church in Ephesus when Timothy was 30 years old and gave him authority to appoint elders, pastors, to preach and to run the affairs of the church. A 30-year-old, a young guy, isn't that crazy? Who would do that? I was 29 years old when I started co-pastoring in this church with my father and 30 years old when I became the lead pastor. I don't know why someone would let me do that, but it's biblical. It's biblical. Young people, you can do great things now for God. And we want you to know if you're a young person in this room, the culture might dismiss you. They might say you're young and you're foolish, but we believe in you. We believe in the purpose that God has for your life and that God wants to use you today, right now. 
and I want to say this, don't put it off. Stop putting it off. Stop saying that someday I'll be used by God. Stop saying that someday when you get a raise, you'll become generous. If you don't learn how to be generous now, God is not going to entrust you with more and it won't become easier. Stop saying that someday when your family becomes a little more stable, you'll get involved in church and become someone who serves. Stop putting things off. Be used by God now. Life is too short to let another decade go by while you're waiting to be used by God. We love you, young adults. I love you. And I want you to know I'm excited about the young adults gatherings that we're starting. The first Sunday of the month, the next Sunday um, on, on the 6 p.m. service, if you're a young adult that goes to this church, come to that service that week. Stay for the after party. There's going to be food trucks and games and stuff because we want to give you an opportunity to come together. If you already go to the 6 p.m. service, sometimes you're still allowed to go to it by all means. We love kind of the intermixing that we have across different generations. But young people matter to us. And I want you to know that if you're a young person in this room, if you will fully use the gifts that God gave you, you can change the world for Jesus. If you'll fully engage and use the potential that God gave you and live out your purpose, God will use you now. Not someday, not when you grow up, not when you finish high school or college or finally get married. God will use you now. And I want to challenge you, young people. I want to challenge you because I always do that too. Your problem is your prejudice. You might not understand that you have prejudice. You might not even be aware of it, but often we do. And you can be prejudiced towards the older generation and dismiss them because they're not cool or because you think that they're out of touch uh, but really, this prejudice is your problem, and it hurts you. You have to see the value in the older generation and the place that God has for you, uh, for them in your life. Our culture glorifies the young, and people spend billions of dollars trying to look young. Why fight it, I say? I'd rather spend that money on pizza. I'm just, I don't got time for just for men gel. Bible says a gray hair is a crown of glory. Unless they want to sponsor me, and then I'll be like, this sermon is brought to you by Just For Men Gel. I'm just kidding. That would be terrible. It's easy to dismiss the elderly as slow, as if they're not intelligent, or as if they're irrelevant. And we have derogatory terms that we use. Uh, sometimes we'll say, you know, old man, or that old geezer. Do people still say that? I don't know. But derogatory terms instead of being respectful and honoring, but God actually commands us to honor the elderly. Do you realize that? It says in Leviticus 19.32, stand up in the presence of the elderly and show respect for the aged. Fear your God, I am the Lord. I love that God reminded us to respect the elderly, but he also reminded us to fear him. And he often does that because he wants us to recognize that respecting those who are older is respect for God. And we should fear God's repercussions and judgments on us if we do not do what he's commanded us to do. Because guess what, young people? You're going to get old someday. You're going to get old someday. And you reap what you sow. Someday you're going to need your kids to take care of you. Someday you're going to be on the receiving end of discrimination in the workplace. Do you know that in the Greek language, there is no word with negative connotations towards the elderly? The word that's translated as old man 
is presbyteros. It's the same word that's translated to describe an elder in the church or a pastor or a presbyter or a bishop. It's a term of honor and respect. And we honor and respect the older generation in this church. And I want you to know if you're a young person that the older generation is an important part of our team. We need them. One, we need their help to reach the older generation because you do know, young people, that not every person with gray hair is a Christian, right? We need each other to reach them. We need the older generation to help in areas that we're weak. Um, While a lot of you were taking care of your kids or at work this week, some of our retired folks were here at the church filling up backpacks for the outreach. They're a part and part of the team. And we can give them a hand. Yes, it's worth celebrating. And and I, I know it's obvious, but listen, young people, without them, there would be no you. And without them, there would be no this. It's because of the generation that came before us that sacrificed and gave and served and witnessed about the goodness of Jesus that any of us are here today. So we should honor their sacrifice and we don't want to miss out on their wisdom. If you want success in life, pursue wisdom. If you want wisdom, pursue relationships with those who are older than you. The prejudice against older people that you might have in your heart, um, it will only hurt you. You need a mentor. You need someone who has been there and done that, who can give you guidance. You cannot be successful without mentors in your life. You need mentors who are Christians in your life. If, it, if a person is not a, mentor, a Christian, can't be a mentor, honestly. If you don't see the world the same way that I do and understand that Jesus is king, I don't want you trying to mentor me. You need an older mentor who is a Christian. And, and here's the thing you have to understand. I heard some, some older men saying this recently in regard to mentoring younger men. And, and he said, it's not that I need you to be like me. I just don't want you to make the same mistakes as me. It'd be foolish to make the same mistakes when you could get wisdom. Amen. Young people, our duty is to make the most of our time, our energy, and our opportunities because the previous generation has sacrificed so much for us to be here. And we do not want their sacrifice to be in vain. Amen. Let alone the sacrifice of Jesus who gave his life for us on the cross. We don't want to waste time and have his sacrifice be in vain. We don't need to let more years go by before we get used by God. You can do things for God now. If you will live out your full potential that God gave you, he will use you right now. You can do great things for God now. Amen. And so I want to talk to the older generation. And I'm going to let you decide if you uh, are in that category. (laughs) You can self-identify. Either you'd say, I'm old. Or you might say, I feel old then this applies to you. I want you to know, and maybe this will sound a little familiar, you can do great things now. You matter to God, and you matter to this church. We don't have chapel services over there because we're trying to get rid of the older generation. We're having chapel services over there, and we invest resources in that ministry because we respect and care for that generation. And not everybody that goes to chapel is old, by the way, but the people that go to that service are important to us, and that's why we make allowances for that, and we we go out of our way to make that ministry happen because we care and we honor them. 
But this culture says, you know, if you're old, you don't matter. And honestly, some of you who are older, you've started to believe that message. You started to believe that you don't matter, that you're useless. I, I, can, I can prove it because I know that a lot of you have come up to me in the past and I've heard you say out of your own mouth, I know I'm old, but I just wanted to say, I know I'm an old lady, but it's like, what are you talking about? Your body might be old, but you're a child of God. You matter to God. Jesus died to save your soul. We honor you. We respect you. The culture might say you don't matter, but Jesus changes the culture and flips it on its head. And we are countercultural in that you are honored and respected here. You do matter. You can do great things now. You're not useless. You are important. You're not unwanted. We want you here. If you're old and you're tempted to think that you're not important and useless in the kingdom of God, I want to remind you about the man who finished building the ark that God used to save creation from destruction. He finished Noah when he was 600 years old. 600! If he could build an ark when he was 600, you could be used for God when you're 75. Amen? And I heard pastor recently, Pastor Tommy Barnett, who started Phoenix First Assembly of God. He did great things for God. He built one of the biggest churches in America. He started the Dream Center, which uh, reaches and, and serves those who are homeless and abused uh, around the world. And, and he's 80 years old now. And I was talking to his son this last week, and he said, Dad, why don't you just slow down? You're 80 years old. His dad has just gone to Siberia three times in the last few months to preach to churches. And his son was going, Dad, maybe you should slow down. And I love what Pastor Tommy said. He said, I believe that God has called me for such a time as this, and I'm not sure that I've had that moment yet. That's how we should all think. We should all think that my, my moment, the moment that God uses me to change the world, it could still be in front of me. It doesn't matter what God's done in my life up to this point. If there have been great things that have happened, I celebrate that and I thank God for that. But the best, I believe, is still to come. And until I die and I'm buried six feet under, I'm going to keep pushing and serving and dreaming and believing for God to use me. You're not done. You can do great things now. If you feel old or you are old, I want you to know you have not outlived your usefulness to God and to his people. So I want to challenge you to live a life that leaves a legacy. Your legacy is not how you'll be remembered, but how your life will continue to affect future generations after you're long gone. Who cares how you're remembered? I care about how my life will continue to impact people even when I'm gone from this life. When my body is decaying and my spirit is with Jesus, I want my life to continue to make an impact, don't you? It says in Psalm 145 verse 4, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. This is an idea that is repeated again and again throughout scripture that it's the responsibility of every generation to teach the next generation and reach the next generation. And we see this again and again. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you nice. No, that's not it. A good husband. Nope, that's not it. A churchgoer. Well, all those things are true, but that's not what he said, is it? Some of you gave away the answer, teacher's pets. I'm just kidding. 
He said, I'll make you fishers of men. There's this idea that every follower of Jesus is called to bring other people into the kingdom of God. That every single Christian, your purpose and your calling and your mission is foundationally the same. It's to build the kingdom of God, to continue to reach other people. None of us are here just to benefit from the church, but to participate in building up the next generation of Christ followers. And it takes effort. I said building up. They're not going to be any one night wonders up in here. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and have your act together. It takes patience to build up the next generation. It takes investment. Isn't that true? It takes time to build them up and to train them what God has for them. You need to be as an older man or woman an example or a mentor to a young person. You can mentor a young couple to be uh, more in love with each other and to be better parents. You can mentor a new believer in what it looks like to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be a soul winner. You can be a prayer warrior. You can be a kingdom builder. That's why I love to give in the offering. I love to tithe. I don't just do it so that God will bless me now. I do it because I'm investing financially in the mission of our king and that investment will return in a way that continues to affect future generations even after I'm gone. The reason that we have churches in our cities is because the last generation gave generously and sacrificially to the Lord. We don't just give to get, we give to give. We give to impact those who are coming after us. I wanna make an impact with my life. It's a good investment. If you want to leave a legacy... Make sure that your life is an example to motivate younger people to want to live for God. People don't walk away from God. They don't walk away from Jesus. They walk away from people who represent Jesus. Does your example motivate young people to want to follow Jesus? That's why Paul said to Titus in the passage we read, to older men, live a life that is worthy of, of respect. And I want you to know this, if you're a part of the older generation, physical maturity has nothing to do with spiritual maturity. I know some older men who are spiritual babies. Recently, I corrected an older man in our church and he said, I'm not going to let some 25 year younger than me boy tell me what to do. It didn't go well, in case you couldn't tell. (laughs) He was a big baby spiritually, even though he was physically mature. Older is not necessarily wiser unless you've taken the initiative to get wisdom. So you've got to live a life worthy of respect. You've got to do the things that it takes to be worthy of respect. You want to build your life in a way that other people would want to follow your example. Live your life in a way that you leave a legacy even after you're gone. And I want you to know, older generation, that as far as it goes to, with the younger generation, you can't win without them. You cannot accomplish your mission without the younger generation. You need them. Jesus has called you to build his church, to build up the next generation. You cannot reach future generations without this generation. We need this generation to reach the next generation. Without them, there will be no next. We can't achieve tomorrow's goals with yesterday's strategy. In scripture, we read about old wineskins and new wine, that you can't put new wine in old wineskins. 
And someone right now might be confused, like, we're going to get wine? Sweet. I didn't even want to come, but that's all right. But what that means is that yesterday's methods won't necessarily work for tomorrow's mission. I'm grateful for the old wineskins. I'm grateful for the old methods. I love the old days of church. That's one of the benefits of being a pastor's kid and growing up on a church pew is I have multiple decades and generations worth of church perspective. I remember singing all the old hymns and all the old songs. And I remember when you came to church and you'd come down to the front of the room and you'd pray and you'd worship and you'd lay on your face and pray to God and cry out. And I remember the days when people would walk around and hand out tracts and flyers to evangelize and knock on the door and pray that they could tell someone about Jesus I would knock on the door and pray that no one was home but I didn't want (laughs) to I remember I'm grateful for all those things but tomorrow we need new methods we respect and we honor and we give thanks for the days of old but we look forward to and we push towards the future and to what God has called us to someone is still asking their neighbor when are we going to get the wine we're not we're not But listen, to those of you who are older, it's hard, if not impossible, for the younger generations to respect the older generations if all they feel and hear is condemnation and criticism. If you communicate things like, I don't like the way you dress, I don't like your music, I don't like your tattoos and piercings, What you're really communicating is, I don't like you. Listen, if you're older, don't go up to a young person and make dumb comments about their clothes. They think you dress stupid too. Your parents didn't like your music either. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we have different preferences and different cultural things that we like and if people you know, do the different things. But, but what really matters is that we're all part of the same body. We're all part of the same family. And I want to read to you as we close Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. It says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Different generations with different perspectives, differences, weaknesses, strengths. We've all, are, we've all received the same spirit. We're a part of the same body. We all worship the same God. We all have the same mission to reach people who are far from God so they can experience new life in Jesus Christ. We need one another. And church is a great place for multiple generations to connect and love one another and challenge each other and learn from each other and benefit from each other's strengths. Especially though, this church. This church, Generation Church, is an amazing place. Do you realize this, that the primary definition of the word generation is the entire body of individuals born and living at about the same time. So every person living on this earth right now is part of this generation. And I'm grateful for 
the different generations who have come before us. And this church is a testament to the fact that generations can work together and build one another up and benefit from one another. I'm grateful for the example of my father-in-law and my father who've been in ministry for 30 years, loving the same woman and preaching the same gospel. And if it wasn't for them, this church wouldn't be here and it wouldn't be in this place today. and We wouldn't be this far, this fast, but because of their sacrifice and because of the sacrifice of so many people who were part of the generation before us who said, it's not about me, it's about reaching those who are coming after us. This church has been able to grow and hundreds and hundreds of people have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we're an example to the world that multiple generations can come together and love one another and live together in unity and in peace. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet at this time. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, I want to be a person of unity. I want to be a person of peace. And that's awesome. But more so today, I want to challenge you in this. Every single person who's here right now, I believe God wants to challenge you this way. Will you live your life in a way that leaves a legacy? It doesn't matter if you have five days left of life or five decades left. You've got time to make a difference that will continue after you're gone. You might have to change some, pri- some priorities in your life. You might have to rearrange some things. You might have to examine your priorities and, and, and evaluate those and look at some things in your life. But ask yourself this, will my life continue to impact people for Jesus after I'm gone? If you would look at your life right now and say, I'm not so sure, good news, because you still have breath in your lungs, you still have an opportunity to make a shift so that you can be used by God. So it's not too late. You might have to step out in faith. Some of you, that's going to require you to quit your job. Some of you, that's going to require you to put aside some hobbies. Some of you, that's going to require you to make some changes in who you spend your time with and what you invest in. But listen, God wants to use you and you'll never regret any investment of time or talent or treasure into the kingdom of God. When we're in heaven someday with one another, worshiping God a thousand years from now, we're going to thank God for every dollar we invested, every minute that we served, Every time that we gave attention to someone in need, we won't regret any of those moments, will we? We'll say, thank you, God, that I got to make a difference for even one person for you. So evaluate your life today. God brought you here for a purpose so that you might be able to make a change in your priorities. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And if you're here, I just want to pray for you. God, thank you for those that you brought here that you love that you use us broken vessels for your glory to be, to be used in your kingdom to reach people, Lord, to change lives, to spread the gospel, to fish for men and women, Lord. We, we love you and we're grateful that we're able to be used by you. So God, I pray that every person here who wants to be used by you will have the strength and the wisdom, God, to step out in boldness and to follow you and that they'll, they'll make a lasting impact with their lives, God. Thank you for that opportunity. And then if you're here with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've never been to church before. Maybe you haven't been in a long time and you're not even sure why you're here. But today you feel the pull in your heart from God who's saying, come and be a part of my family. Come be a part of this family of love and unity. Come and experience my acceptance. And you might say, I I can't be a part of that because there's sin in my life and I've done so many things that are wrong. I don't think I could come and be a part of this church. But you need to know that you don't have to clean up your act in order to come to God. 
Jesus died on the cross and his blood cleanses you and makes you righteous so that you can go to God. He already paid the penalty for our own sins so that we could come to God. He lived a righteous life because we could not live a righteous life. He made it possible for us to be restored to God in his family. And so if you're here and you say, I want that, I, will, I wanna be forgiven. I wanna become a part of God's family. How do I do it? The Bible says that you're saved by confessing your sin and believing in Jesus and trusting in him. So you might be here and you might say, okay, well, I acknowledge that I've sinned and I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he rose again. If you would believe that in your heart today, God says you will be saved. You will be saved. You are not saved by going to church. You are not saved by serving other people. You are saved by simply trusting Jesus to save you. So maybe you're here today and you're ready to make that step of faith and you feel God pulling on your heart and he's saying, come back to me. Come be a part of my family. Come receive my love that I want to pour out on you. If you're here and you're ready today, I want to pray this prayer with you and I want you to pray it with me in your heart. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I'm not worthy of your love, but I believe that you love me anyways. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he took my place of punishment, and I believe that he rose again three days later, and that he's victorious over sin and death. And so I wanna follow you, God, from this day forward. I wanna give my life to Jesus and be used for his glory. I wanna follow you and make an impact with my life, God. Thank you for loving me before I even deserved it, God, and help me to be used for your purpose and for your glory. Thank you for being by my side. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.